Well, this is a Saturday morning. And if you are a subscriber to this channel, first of all, thank you. Um, look at that. Um, there's going to be some out of order stuff here. And the reason is that these this series was originally begun when I was working at Fourth Avenue. And that ended a couple of weeks ago. So uh, people are having a hard time finding it. Now, the audio is still there. You just have to go to look for September 20th. They don't have it named, but September 20th on their website or on their YouTube channel. Uh, the YouTube channel is video and includes the entire worship. But since some people were getting confused going to three different places, I said I would redo them right here. So this is our introduction to the book. And it's a pretty important set of introductions. There are going to be two or three of these, if I remember correctly. And I'll do this one, and then I'm driving to Little Rock to speak tomorrow at the Citywide Worship at War Memorial Stadium. And thank you for Jonathan Stormont and all of those who made that happen. Let's get this going, because I do want to keep these a bit shorter than the sermons. All right. And so we'll pack them in. And later on, we're going to create a way for you to get the notes and for you to have extra content and uh, questions answered and such. All right. We're working on this. and. Be patient as we try to put this all together. This is a very strange and wonderful journey because it's a very strange and wonderful book. And the book itself took a very strange journey into our Bibles. The book of Revelation was not formally recognized as part of the New Testament canon. That means the, the books that we consider scripture until 397 AD. There was a conference in Carthage, North Africa, when finally they, they, they let it in. But not every group of Christians agreed that it was wise to put this book in. In the second century, most Christians rejected this book as scripture, mainly as a response. And we tend to live in reaction more than we live in planned action. But this was a response to a group called the Montanist. They were... They were mainly Orthodox, mind, but they, they had some gifts of prophecy and they had a very strict personal moral code. There were some similarities to some modern charismatic and Pentecostal groups today. They were never kicked out of the church, although some were suspicious of them. But the church was nervous about their prophetic pronouncements and they believed, they were fearful rather, that the preaching of the Montanists would bring down persecution from Rome. And keeping that off of the, the early Christian church was super important because Rome was brutal in the extreme. Both sides had a very point, a real point here. Prophecy is real and prophet does continue. And it is very easy and very dangerous to read Revelation as a code book written to you personally and to bring your drama and your need for identity and importance and read them into this book. People have been doing that for a long time. In the 300s, there was a very powerful ship, Gregory of uh, Nazianzus, who said this really shouldn't be scripture. The book of Revelation should not, because it's too hard to understand, it's too easy to misinterpret it, and it splinter groups form around it. Let's be fair. 1700 years later, that's still true. Even though I consider it scripture, you can see why they were very nervous about it in the first 300 years. Luther, Martin Luther rejected it for most of his life. 
John Calvin wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible except Revelation. We don't really know what he thought about it because as far as we can see, he never taught from it. That's way up into the Protestant Reformation and beyond. The Eastern Orthodox Church sets it aside and does not use it during the year. They read from every New Testament book in their liturgy, except for the book of Revelation. They don't consider it evil. They just cons they question its usefulness. Now, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that this book is written to every generation as a warning, as a warning that any age could be the last age. And so we should have our souls ready to meet God. I think they have a really good take on it, frankly, you know, in that bit. I don't know all of their theology, but that simple summing up, I think that's a pretty good take. The Coptic Orthodox Church, one of the oldest Christian groups in the world and one which is in danger of extinction in our lifetimes, holds the book in very high esteem, but they only read it on bright Saturday. That's the Saturday before Easter, when publicly they read the whole thing. And that does help us to remember the book was designed to be heard, not to be studied over numbers counted, letters weighed, and all kinds of secret codes sought. No, this was a book given to the people of its time, and it was to be read because people didn't have books. And when the book came by, you gathered and you listened. If you're very fortunate, you got to hear it maybe even twice but you listened. And so that overall feeling is really what you need to grab rather than trying to, well, trying to figure out if this person you just met is a good person by doing a complete total tissue autopsy. You're going to find out a lot about the person, but you'll kill them. We can do that with books too. Let's just be careful. I could go on and on about the battle of how this book um, as scripture or not, and how it battled its way through this Protestant Reformation and beyond. I mean, uh, Luther, uh, Cardinal Ketajan, um, Erasmus all rejected it as being too obtuse, um, not useful and strange. Luther said this, to quote, I can in no way detect that the Holy Spirit produced it. We are supposed to be blessed who keep what is written in the book, and yet no one knows what that is to say nothing of keeping it. This is just the same as if we did not have the book at all, and there are many far better books available for us to keep." End of quote. I spent so much time talking about this bit, the suspicion that great Christian leaders had about this book for one reason. I want you to read it. I want you to hallow the book. But don't let this book or your reading of it divide you from any other believer in Christ. That would be to put this book above Jesus Christ. Don't do that. That's the same sin as putting politics or race or any other such thing above Jesus. That would be sinful. Don't do it. Let's let the world see that we can read this book. We can treasure it. We can consider it a gift from God and we can stay united in love. Fair enough. The book is here. We got to deal with it. And it is a strange book. Let's be honest. People have misused it for 2000 years. It hasn't been, it was, it, 1800 years, 1900 years, they've been misusing it. Still, there's something here of God. And there's something here of a veil pushed aside 
and that makes this a pretty special pretty special peek into the real world as opposed to our little uh, frail material world and there's a very hard lesson in here that we need to hear especially in a time of, of an election and most of you won't watch this until after the election in america but there's always another one and there's always another election here there or dictator or, or whatever it is we need to hear this because this book demands that we have loyalty to one god god that we have no other gods before him and that we do not tie our faith our hope our love and our charity to the state we tie it to god this book is an act of rebellion this book is a pledge of allegiance to the one god and to jesus christ and to the holy spirit and none other and that's a very hard thing to get in our heads at any stage but it's what revelation teaches as for approaching the book you should approach the book the way you approach any piece of ancient literature any literature actually a, um, a piece of mail you found on the road who wrote it when to whom why was it written was it written to us spoiler alert no it was written to them it doesn't help them if God gives them a book saying persecution's coming and it's going to be terrible and Jesus is going to do all this kind of stuff in 2,000 years. But you guys just, you know, I'm, no, it, Domitian was coming. They'd lived through Caligula and Nero, Tiberius before Caligula, and the hits were going to just keep on coming. And Constantine kind of did him a favor and kind of not did us a favor. But we're skipping ahead. As for who wrote this book? Well, we're reading somebody else's mail. We're only getting the writer's side of it. And we really cannot positively identify the writers. Now, the writer, I have um, very dear friends who are absolutely convinced that John the Apostle wrote this book. And there, there are some reasons to believe that. I, however, believe that there are more reasons to not think that's this John. The language is different, the style is different, the verbiage and word use is different. The date seems pretty late for John to be writing it. It might have been written by some of his followers. Um, that was not unusual, by the way, for some uh, followers to write a book and put the person they were following or in the style of put that name on the book. That was not considered dishonest at all. Um, you, you cannot judge first and second century people in the Middle East by Western European and American standards. No, they had standards and they held to them, but they weren't the same as ours, as we shall see as we go through the book. Um, the words used, they're very different. Uh, so I, I read the book of John, the Gospel of John, and it's like reading Nicholas Sparks. And then I look at, um, not that I would read Nicholas Sparks, because I'm a manly man, but if you read Revelation, it's more like reading William Blake very different styles. So many people just call this guy John Patmos. I just call him the Revelator or John. John was an incredibly common first name. There, we have no way of identifying any further than that. 
By the way, he was not there in exile by the government. I was always ra raised and taught that this was the Apostle John, and he was sent to die on Patmos because of his belief he was exiled. Rome loved to exile people. I'll give you that. But the writer of this book says he was on Patmos because God wanted him there to receive a vision. And in the book, it says, you take this vision back to these churches. So the government hadn't stuck him on an island to die. This is That's a myth. This is something else. He's there precisely for the vision. And if I may, if I may interject a personal opinion here, he said, acting as if he had not done so already, I think it's best if you approach this book as a whole and not in pieces. Read it quickly, at least once. If you can find it recorded, re listen to it a couple of times. Don't stop it, just let it roll. If you, if you miss something, eh, let it roll. I want you to get a big picture, an impression, an emotion, a set of emotions. Then we go back and read it. And I told this story when I did this sermon uh, live at a church. Um, my wife is uh, has never been one to do a whole lot of words and communicating. And so when we were dating, it was long distance. There's a story there, but we don't have the time for that. Very long distance. And I was spending up to half of my paycheck on long distance phone calls, which everybody under 40 has no clue what I'm talking about. But phones used to be tethered to the wall, super expensive. And if you called out of your little town, <coughs> excuse me, you would um, incur very hefty charges. So I would uh, you know, call as much as I could, but I'd also send her cards, these sappy little Hallmark thingies, Helen Steiner Rice type thingies, um, two or three times a week. And she didn't do them back because she's just not a wordy person. Every now and then there'd come a little thing with, you know, ditto or right back on you, but not much. Then one day I got a coffee tin uh, in, the, in the post. Now, I don't drink coffee. Um, I'm not opposed to it. Just don't drink it. And I was saying, what, what? and I opened it up and it was cookies. Now, she had sent me cookies. Now, these were the most oddly shaped cookies ever. I mean, they were like a sampling of amoeba. Uh, there was no order to them whatsoever, but they were cookies. I was single. I ate the cookies, called her, and uh, she said, did you get the cookies? I said, yes, I did. That was very lovely. And she goes, and? And, I went, and they were ever so lovely. And she goes, well, did you put it together? It was a puzzle. She didn't tell me it was a puzzle. She still says she told me it was a puzzle. It wasn't a puzzle. I, uh, I will go to court on this one. There was, there was no indication. I ate it. And she said, well, you were supposed to put it together before you ate it. And I said, it was cookies and I didn't see instructions. So I ate it. I said, what did it say? We've been married now for over 41 years and she still won't tell me. True story. Ask Miss Kami herself. So I learned back then, get a big picture of something first. You might want to do it. The first chapter answers all of our questions, really, about the who and the what and the why and the where and that sort of thing. Um, and we're just going to do a little bit of this, and then we're going to come back to it in a few days when I can get back and do this again. I'm trying my level best to get these all up so that you can have this. Uh, you've been very, very kind. Um, we are hoping to get uh, a few thousand subscribers eventually and put a lot more content on 
we have some ideas coming, so please stay tuned. Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, what's, what must soon take place, what must soon take place. Don't do this. A day is to the Lord is a thousand years. Yeah, it is, but not to us. God's not going to tell us it's going to happen real quick. But he's not going to do that to us. God's not, God's not Loki. He's not some trickster Nordic God. He's God. He loves you. I'm not going to psych. He's going to tell you soon. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. That's a guy who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. What is written in it? Because the time is near, near. You might want to circle that one. Uh, first few verses. And what have people done ever since? It's talking about us. And you know what? Gorbachev has a big birth mark right there, and it looks like Afghanistan. And and uh, now, oh, they're barcodes, uh, barcodes, barcodes, guitar guy, uh, barcodes at the at the grocery store. That's the mark of the beast. I have lived through so many mark of the beast, and I'm sad, but I'm going to have to live through some more unless I die real quick, because people always act like soon and near weren't written here, and it's all about them. Clue, you're a part of the journey, but you're not the point. We're not that special. Sorry. Not really. To who was it written? John, to the seven churches in a province of Asia. There you go. Grace and peace to you from him who was and who, who is and who is to come from the seven spirits before his throne. Yep, that's my phone and I'll silence it. This is what you get when you have amateurs running, running the show uh, like me. And from Jesus Christ, who's a faithful witness, he, he read, read on your own, because I'd like to keep this a little shorter than it's going, shall we? Shall we say um, verses four through 11? Couldn't be plainer. It was written to the churches that existed at the time. They were going to face some super important, powerful str struggles. So how are we going to get them through this? How's God's church going to survive? And here's, here's really important. People thought Jesus was going to turn around and come right back. Now the first generation and the second generation of believers are fading away. Third generations are hitting their middle age what are we going to do? How are we going to survive? And did we follow the right God after all? Very legitimate questions. That's what Revelation's all about. So Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 20. We'll take time for that one because we we got to set it up. It's very dramatic. We will be coming back to it as well, by the way. Um Revelation chapter one, let's see. I can't get my pages to turn. This is why people use electronic Bibles, I guess. Um, it goes like this, 12 to 20. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Don't get hung up on sevens. Seven means lots. It means all of them, a perfect amount. In this case, it refers to the churches in Asia. Just seven of them? No, all of them. But he uses seven uh, different individual real churches to make his point. But the word seven always refers to a complete group. Um, 
and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. There you go. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash about his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, all of the stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. Not literally. He said he was putting it in signs and symbols. Jews know all of these because this is the way the language worked. This is the way Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah, Daniel, all of those work. They got this. When I saw them, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Right therefore, what you've seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Very dramatic. Um, very much like Daniel, like when the angel appeared to Daniel. Now this is Jesus, obviously, self-identified here, but um, very similar with the sash and the stars and, and all of this other. This book probably, almost certainly written between 85 and 96 AD in there somewhere. This would have been like cool water for them to know in all of the persecution, the one who was dead, now alive, is reigning. He holds our future in his hands and he holds the key to death. Rome thinks they do. They are, they're confused and ignorant, Rome is, because they think killing the body means they have the power of life and death. <laughs> no, used to be, maybe, but Jesus has changed the equation and changed our perception of what reality is. Did you notice something else? Just to encourage you. Do you know, did you notice what you are to Jesus Christ? You're a star. You're a light in the darkness. You're a lampstand where it's exactly needed. Well, I know the world doesn't say that about you, but quite frankly, the world doesn't know what it's talking about. They'll say that you're too tall, too fat, too skinny, too this, too that. Rubbish. Who are they to say such things? Who made them judges? They're sitting there eating off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and calling themselves gods. We eat from the tree of life and he calls us stars. There you go. That's pretty cool. And then there's a phrase. I will show you what is now and what will take place later. On that, more next time. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for starting the ride all over again. Thanks for subscribing uh, and get your friends to do it too, because eventually we're going to have to build an audience and do a lot of other things because I'm unemployed at the present. And this is what I'm doing and traveling around speaking where I'm asked to speak, which has been really nice. A lot of fun. Thank you. God bless you. And I'm going to see you really soon.